Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you individual stories of individuals and organizations in your community that are making a difference. You see, I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprints that put us on the paths and the journeys of our lives. Some find purpose. Every story can help, heal, inspire, educate, and my one word is to give hope. Today, we're going to talk about, oh, another difficult conversation that I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about. Well, we're going to get into this because it needs to be talked about. My guest today is Ellie Latibue. She has received her master's degree in English, where she spent extensive time researching the sex industry. What she learned there, in part, drove her passion to make an impact in the fight against human trafficking by educating the public about the connections between human trafficking and pornography and prostitution. I think you already know where we're going with this, people. We're going to be talking about pornography something that destroys a lot of relationships. Ellie currently works as an administrator for the nonprofit organization Children's Rescue Initiative. Ellie went through a divorce, and because of her husband's porn addiction, this is a topic that is rarely, if at all, discussed. And sadly, a lot of people can relate to. Please help me welcome my guest today, Ellie Latibue. Hello, Ellie. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Yes. And I get tongue tied because this is, it's kind of like an uncomfortable conversation for people to have, but I'm willing to take it on. And I'm super excited that you were willing to allow me to bring it to people's attention because we do know it exists. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you for being willing to talk about this. I, I feel like often I get either the response of, wow, that's a topic I I've never thought about, or people tend to shy away and not want to talk about it at all. So I appreciate that. You do. You do. And I, and we're, and I've mentioned before, we are not giving names of these individuals that um, have been changed in our lives, whether it's your ex-spouse or anyone that knows someone that has this we're going to call it an addiction. It truly is an addiction, um, which you had already mentioned goes into what you work with. And I had the privilege of actually speaking with your dad recently on how this, it takes a, it takes an army to help people with an addiction, but it's possible. Um, so with that being said, I understand pornography is connected to sex, sex trafficking, which you also mentioned pornography. How is that? Right. So I think I started researching this about six years ago. Um, I started writing a paper about the porn industry. And over that time, since I began, as I would research the, the porn industry, I learned about trafficking and about prostitution. And I just realized over time that as a, as a culture and as a society, we like to pretend like they're separate when they actually all feed each other and they all you know, work together. And so one of the things we do with Children's Rescue Initiative is that we rescue kids out of brothels, um, you know, from sex trafficking. But a lot of the time that, especially in the United States, because this can look different in developing countries versus developed countries. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what can happen is that a, a child sold into sex trafficking, the people who are buying that child right? Because that child is now in prostitution. And so there's the connection between trafficking and prostitution. Those people also watch pornography. They often watch child porn. And so that's another connection because the pornography is feeding it. But also these children are often shown pornography in order to show them what the Johns or the buyers want. Um, and so those are just some minor ways that they're connected. 
there is a website called truthaboutporn.org and they have some really, really good videos that, that dive further into this topic of how these things are connected. Um, but really it goes into the mindset of when we create a culture that has a mindset of it's okay to buy another human being, then pretty much everything's on the table. Wow. I still, and I, when I interviewed your dad, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this and I'm not going to be naive to say it doesn't exist because we absolutely know it exists. Um, You just shared with us as well as the 2020 year, as I've mentioned in all my other interviews was an explosion of a lot of different things that a lot of people I think were either naive or didn't realize that existed or at the scale that they exist. I think is more the word a scale because it's always been there. Mm-hmm. But no one talked about it. Everyone kept it quiet because there was privacy issues or shame or people just was like, oh, it doesn't exist. If you don't, it's what is that? Out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's easy to pretend there's no problem if you just ignore the fact that it exists because then you're not responsible. You don't have to do anything about it. Well, and that goes with any kind of addiction because this does fall mm-hmm. under addiction. Yeah. Yes. No. So we're going to go actually into your personal um, journey of this pornography, mm-hmm. because obviously it changed you and it changed the relationship with you and, and now your ex-spouse. Pornography can make a partner feel they are not enough or have mm-hmm. low self-esteem. How does this make you feel? Is that... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I... When I first was writing that paper about the porn industry, um, I'm a researcher. I love to research. I love to, to like you, you had mentioned before, I love to ask the question why right. Right, and find out things. And so I was researching this. And at the same time, I had met and started dating my husband. And uh, I found out pretty quickly about his addiction while we were dating. Um, and so because I was doing the research at the time, I felt like, oh, I know that his addiction is not about me. It is an addiction. It does the same things in the brain as a hard drug. Um, And so I knew at the time that it wasn't about me. But over time, as it seemed like he was getting better and we moved into marriage and kept going, what I realized once we got divorced and I had the separation to be objective was that every time that he watched porn, every time that he did that stuff, his action told me that I wasn't enough. And so even though in my head, logically, I knew I was, or I knew my value, I was raised by very good parents, his actions as my husband and the person that I trusted intimately and with, you know, vulnerability told me I wasn't enough. And so over time, I think I didn't realize I was really shoving it down and I was, you know, trying to be strong. And once I separated, because we ended up separating for a year and going through counseling, I had the space to, to sit back and feel safe and say, oh, wow, you know, he, his actions, I think unintentionally, because I don't think he ever intended for that to happen, told me that I wasn't enough. And, and I felt very broken. Um, yeah. I can actually relate to this one. Um, and I won't get into my personal life, but as a woman, it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on or the prettiest outfit to look like you are, you know, feel good. Um, when you have stuff like that that happens to you and you're knowing it's going on, it really takes your self-esteem or doesn't, it definitely doesn't bring you up. And it doesn't make you feel like you're worth anything because then now you're comparing yourself to mm-hmm. something that you know you wouldn't do um, to make that person see you for who you, who you are. And I want to share this one because this one is a very well-known one thing too. And this one was a part of my personal life in the past 
not me being the person, but how I was affected by someone else's actions. And that would be the strip clubs. You've got people that think, oh, it's just for a bachelor party. Well, why? You know, it's tradition. No, it's not tradition. People are making new traditions all the time that um, don't include a, a, a half naked individual. And I say dancers, it's not just females. There's also the men that are doing it too. You know, we all hear about the Chippendales, but um, in the reality of it, I guess if you have trust, I'm not going to say you guess, when you have trust in the relationship to know that it's purely entertainment and that's it. But then when you have it the other way, which affected my life and it affected my self-esteem a great deal for many years, I didn't feel I was worthy enough to be in that person's life. And I was fighting in my mind against an image that I didn't even know who these people were. And that brought me down. Um, and to me that, that goes and qualifies with pornography. Yeah. I think it all, it all fits because it's all that same thing of saying, I'm in this committed relationship and yet I'm going to find my sexual satisfaction outside of that. Um, And so even a lot of married couples use porn together, Mm -hmm. but I have never personally, I have never met a couple who is genuinely happy and satisfied with each other and still using porn because you are inviting these other people into your marriage bed. You are inviting these other people and and their body parts and their whatever into your relationship. Mm -hmm. And to me that, that, that is not healthy. And I've never seen a healthy relationship work that way. And like anything, these are a business. Mm -hmm. And also, and in those individuals' lives and relationships, they need to know what the boundaries are. Mm -hmm. So if, if any of my listeners are okay with, like you just said, you're in a relationship that that's what you do, that's great. But I'm pretty sure, like you said, it's, um, there's, there's something that's missing. I don't think you need to have that, but if you do, that's your choice. I'm not going to judge someone, but that comes with troubles as well. Um, I guess then where was your turning point with the relationship when you said I've had enough of not feeling like I was worth being your wife? Yeah. Uh, so that happened actually my dad, um, who's a wonderful man. Uh, we had been married about three years coming up on three years. I was in grad school and I had kind of just been numb. I think I, I, we had tried all kinds of workbooks, all kinds of things to get through it, but his behaviors without going into detail had just kind of increased. They had escalated. And I just, I became numb because at that point I had fought so hard and I didn't know what else to do. And my dad called and we were talking and I mentioned one of the increasing behaviors and he got angry. He got very angry. And just that, that his daughter was going through this that it shouldn't be happening. Up to that point, I had never been openly angry with my husband because I know that being angry with someone for something doesn't change their behavior. Um, And so I tried really hard to have a lot of grace and to to help him through it and still be active, you know, and, and making a change. But I just got angry because I was at a loss. And so that for me was the turning point. And then a few weeks later, my mom said, well, what about, what if you separate? And my, my immediate response was, no, not, I'm not going to give up on him. I'm not doing that. But it planted the seed in my mind that I needed in order to prepare um, for what was coming. And so then after that, we ended up moving. I told him that we had to go to counseling. And the counselor there said, I have never told anyone this before, but I think for you, you need to separate. I think it's what you need. And honestly, it felt like a breath of relief. I felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders that I could stop shouldering his pain, that I could stop fighting for him 
when he wasn't fighting for himself. Um, and he was to a degree, but, but not when it got to the root issue. Um, and so I left and honestly, I think to this day, that was the best decision. And I, I, I don't know that I handled everything super well because in the middle of the pain and the trauma, you make mistakes, but leaving and getting that space was definitely what I needed. I agree with you. That would go into my next question about having support and therapy. You, you went right into that and didn't even know that. Support groups, I am assuming there are support groups out there, but there's obviously therapy where this individual said to you, and it wasn't even like your parents, it's funny, we'll go to our parents and then we're like, no, that's, that's not going to work. But a total stranger tells you and you're like, oh my gosh, that is such a great idea, <laughs> right? So, so support groups, um, would you say there, there are support groups, and, and I don't know if you still are in contact with your um, ex-husband or not, that you maybe suggested that once it came to a point where he had to realize, maybe he hasn't realized yet, that your, your value of who he, you are in his life was worth more than what this addiction is? Yeah, so that, that year of separation, we ended up going through counseling. We did joint counseling and individual. Um, so that, was for me, was a major source of healing that I needed. Um, but also I realized in that time that the two things that we never had that we needed were counseling early on, um, which was something that we both, to be fair, thought we didn't need. Uh, we both thought we could handle it. And male accountability for him. He needed men in his life who could call him higher, who could tell him um, that, that he was worth more than that because he struggled with a lot of shame from his past and, and di- di- you know, issues that fed into that addiction. Um, and so those two things I would highly recommend to anyone, um, that are, that are absolutely necessary, but yeah, I counseling changed my life for sure. Um, and it's something that he did. And then he chose to end when we got divorced. And after that, I don't know what he has pursued. It's interesting. You mentioned it and I've seen it, um, time and time again, we have a lot of things from our past that we don't know that we have been programmed, right? Or trauma that has happened in our lives. And if we didn't have the support or people around us that could tell us that was not the right thing to do. And then we made the mistakes, like you said. I mean, we all made mistakes. I've got my share of them too. I'll never say that I don't make mistakes because I don't know they were mistakes until I've made them. And a lot of the times as we get older, now mind you, I'm, I'm much older than you. I've had my own stuff that I've gone through And I found that all the stuff that I was being programmed as a kid or even into my young 20s, mid 20s, I am now trying to unravel and figure out (laughs) what what I can do now and move forward with those pains, those traumas, those uh, uh, abandonment. There's abandonment in there. And some people will call it act out. When you're a kid, they tell you, oh, they're acting out. Well, why are they acting out? Is it, is it their way of trying to get attention? And it, sometimes it turns into an addiction like you just sh- shared, whether it's pornography or alcohol or drugs, going fast, you know, whatever that vice is that gets you away from the pain. So you fall into it versus go away from it. So thank you for sharing that. Um, we had talked prior to this and you are writing a book. Tell yeah. me more about the book. Yes. So, um, I am, I am a strong believer. I love Jesus. And I felt like, um, when I, I, that is a, a lot of the reason that I was able to get through the divorce and, and come out as I feel a, a fairly whole person and, and get a lot of healing. 
And so as I was going through this recovery process, I have always wanted to write a book. I mean, it's just something I've wanted to do since I was little. And as I was going through this, I felt like God was telling me, hey, you have a story that other people need to hear. And one of the issues that I struggled with so much in the divorce process was feeling alone, Mm -hmm. Um, knowing again, logically in my head that other people have gone through this, but I didn't know anyone else who had, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do or where to turn. And so by writing this book, my goal is to share my story again, appropriately and still honoring my, my ex-husband because he is a good man. Um, but also to, to, to bring hope, right? That is my main goal is that I want to show other women going through this, that you are not alone. Um, it is not your fault. And there is so much hope. And when you're in the middle of the pain, it feels like it will never end. But if you can just set your, set your sights on that goal and know that there's hope, you're going to get through it. Oh, those are some powerful words you just said. And I can relate to all of them, even with my past of what I dealt with, even from a child to my young 20s. So yes, that is helpful. So with that being said, what advice, because we know that there are, pornography is not just men and women. There's relationships that are same sex. This mm-hmm. is, this is, a, this is a, um, an addiction. We've mentioned that before. What kind of advice would you give? Because you said you don't want anyone to feel alone, which is exactly why I do what I do. I want to bring an awareness to say, you can figure that, you don't have to figure this out on your own. There are other people that are walking through it or have walked through it. So with that being said, what advice would you give to anybody who feels like they are alone to try and get out of the situation or even be able to talk to their partner about it and maybe even be able to salvage the relationship? Yeah. So I think that's where counseling comes in. I I think it's very important because it gives you a third party who is objective and who is trained and who can facilitate conversation. And so a lot of times in these situations, there's a lack of trust, right? Because one partner or both have hurt the other. Right. And so when you have that, that third person or, or whatever to help facilitate that, they can ask the right questions and provide that safe space to have those conversations. So I think that's number one, very important. Number two, um, and just going back again to my own experience, and I wouldn't put this on any and everyone, but as a believer, honestly, my relationship with God has grown so much through this process because I have learned that I can depend on him, right? That God is trustworthy and dependable and that he's not going to leave and that he knows my deepest pain and my heart. And, um, something that, that when I went through counseling, I, I basically, I just had this um, encounter with God where he showed me that he is, he is protecting my heart and that he is um, trustworthy. And so I don't have to protect my own heart. I don't have to try to guard it and put up walls and be cold to my ex-husband, right? Because God is protecting my heart. So I can be kind and I can love him while still setting appropriate boundaries. And so something that I talk about in my book, I'm going to have a chapter on boundaries, right? And, and setting appropriate boundaries and what it looks like to forgive mm-hmm. and how you can forgive someone and not trust them because that's setting appropriate boundaries. Um, and so I think there's a lot of different aspects of this, but moving forward, I think setting goals, you know, is one really important thing. Something when I went through that counseling, there were some women there who were, I think in their sixties and they were some of the happiest women I have ever met. And they had been through some of the worst trauma I've ever heard, right? And so I decided when I go through this process, I'm not going to be bitter. I saw those women and said, that's who I want to be, right? I want to come out of this process whole and healed and, and be able to live out my purpose, right? And not have my purpose 
uh, skewed because of this problem, because we all go through problems and we all go through pain, but it's how we handle it. Right. So if you set goals and decide this is who I want to become, this is how I'm going to get there. I think that helps a lot. Absolutely. Boundaries is huge. I say that to everybody. You have to have boundaries. Otherwise people are going to, and here's one I love to say, people are going to treat you how you allow them. So set the boundaries now and be okay with the fact that someone may not like that, but that's how it has to be to protect yourself. And, um, you know, you mentioned forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. I had to learn this one myself because when I figured, when I thought I had to forgive someone, I felt as though, which I've learned differently, that I was allowing them to um, get away with what they've done. Right. Yeah. Which would be one or a hundred times that I would say, okay, I forgive you. And they keep doing it. I felt like I was giving them permission to say, oh, I forgive you. But you also mentioned when you forgive someone, um, and you probably heard this phrase too, um, I forgive you, but I won't forget. But that's actually hurtful for you too. So you said it better with, I forgive you. I just will never trust you. Yeah. Big difference. Right. And, and trust can be rebuilt. And so as you, you know, if that person changes and they become a safe person, you can rebuild trust, but definitely, yeah, you've got to set healthy boundaries and, and forgiveness means, uh, there's a, there's a quote that says forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize the prisoner was you, right? Mm -hmm. So you're setting yourself free, but you're also keeping yourself safe. I learned that one a long time ago. I didn't realize how much I was hurting and crying and the other person was continuing to do what they were doing and didn't care that I was hurting or that I was crying and that they caused this. And that's when I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I've got to take my power back. I've got me to deal with and my health and how I have my life and how I look at life, which if anyone knows me personally, they know they're like, oh my gosh, you're like, you've had all this stuff happen, but you just keep on going and you're happy. I still have my days like anybody else, but I'm not going to allow anyone to take away my happiness because I've set my boundaries. And That's that was so, yeah. so hard to do, but it made, it freaked me. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Um, I don't think you mentioned, I know you're in the process of writing the book, but I don't think you mentioned the title of your book. Do you have a title? I don't yet have a title. It's, oh. it's something I'm working on. Um, but yeah. So I'm, I'm still in pretty early stages of it, um, but I am working, working on that still. Not a problem. Um, when you find out, uh, when you come up with, maybe I'll come up with it. I don't know. Let me know. I would love to to get a hold of that book. Not that I need it, but I'd love to be able to look at it. And I can probably refer it to someone else who, who may feel like, hey, I don't have any of the resources, but this would be a resource. It's because it's your journey through this particular situation. I have one final question that isn't as difficult. Are you ready? Sure. My final question, Ellie, is this. What message would you like to leave based on your journey of your life? Mm. I think it goes back to that message of there is hope, right? Because we all go through difficult circumstances and we all go through things that feel like the end of the world, like they're going to crush us, but there is hope. And as we move forward and, uh, and we can learn to grow. Um, I, when I took the strengths finders test, my top uh, result on that was learner. And so I'm always looking at situations of how can I learn from this? Because there will always, right, I don't want to live with regrets. I refuse to live with regrets. And so instead, when I make mistakes, I think, how can I learn from this? How can I grow? And so, you know, I've, I've wondered over time, man, I, I, I worked so hard to be uh, intentional about who I married. And yet this still happened. 
I worked so hard to fight for my marriage. I never wanted to get divorced. I mean, I went into that marriage with such intentionality and yet this still happened. So how can I learn from it? How can I grow? How can I move forward and do better next time? Um, and so I think, I think that's a good way to live life, right? There is hope and we can learn. Absolutely. Every day is a learning process. Even though we go to the classroom and do our graduations, there's a constant learning that I don't think we really graduate until we go, oh, that's what that meant. Okay, I won't do that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> that includes some of the relationships we've put ourselves in. Some people are like, my picker's broken. And you have to say, well, what classroom do you keep walking into that you're not passing? <laughs> because that's where it is. It's you not paying attention to the signs. There are signs in everything that we do. And there is good and there is bad, as you already know. But um, life is a, is a full-time lesson. Right. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ellie, for being my guest today and talking about a topic that is kind of not so um, welcoming, but it's it's definitely one that needs to be talked about. Yes. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes. And to my listeners, thank you for listening into what another amazing story. It's a little sensitive, but I know that you can relate or you know someone. So with that being said, if you have a story you want to share or know someone who has a story or you have an organization in your community making a difference, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.